The Fitness Reborn podcast is a companion piece to Renaissance Fitness personal training. This podcast is to serve as educational and entertainment purposes only. It does not in any way constitute as medical advice. If you have a medical concern, please seek out your provider. Hello and welcome. This is the latest edition of the Fitness Reborn podcast. My name is Sean from Renaissance Fitness Personal Training, where we put movement ahead of workouts. And my guest today is Dr. Shane Stedman. Uh, He is a chiropractic uh, neurologist coming out of Denver, I believe, out of Colorado. And um, yeah, I'm really interested in having him here today because he's going to talk to us a lot about uh, not only chiropractory, the practice of being a chiropractor, but also how it relates to the brain and traumatic brain injuries and things like that. And Dr. Stedman, good to have you finally on after quite a few attempts here. We had some technical problems, but now here he is. Thanks for coming on, Dr. Stedman. Oh, happy to be here. It's going to be a lot of fun. Good deal. Yeah, yeah. So like I said, um, this is an area that I have a lot of interest in because I'm thoroughly interested in like the mind-body connection and things like that, but I'd never heard it actually referred to in the practice of um, chiropractor. Um, And so that is a whole new area for me. And so I'm really interested in hearing what you have to say on that. But before we get on, I'd like to just kind of take us a little back a little bit uh, because I know things about you, but the people listening maybe don't know so many things about you. And I like to kind of get a, a context about what, where we're coming from and where we're going to go with that. So how did you get into this practice? What's the backstory? Yeah, so, I mean, backstory is, is interesting because I, I get asked that a lot, which is kind of fun because I don't think a lot of people know that chiropractic neurologists actually exist. You know, so everybody's like, how did you get into this field? Um, funny story, so my mom actually worked for a chiropractic neurologist when I was in high school. And uh, so he and he's still in practice, so it's funny. I still talk to him here and there, but uh, so she worked with him and she would come home with all these uh, amazing stories. And then you go, you know, go visit my mom at work, you know, whatever. And, you know, you see some stuff you're like, oh, that's really cool. That's really cool. So uh, I went from being a music major. That was kind of my, my degree and what I went to school for. And then about halfway through, I was like, I want to do what that guy did. You know, it's just like, <laughs> it's super cool. And, and what, you know, so he, he has this chiropractic neurology, you know, degree or his chiropractic degree with, um, his uh, postdoctorate in neurology, and so I think a lot of people don't know that is is that chiropractors are, are considered like a primary care, just like MDs and osteopaths. So we're all kind of in that same level, and then each each with within each uh, profession, you have your specialty. So you have an osteopathic neurologist, chiropractic neurologist, and a medical neurologist, and you have an osteopathic pediatrician and a chiropractic pediatrician and a medical pediatrician. So we all have our, our postgraduate degrees that we can go and further our training. And so mine was more on that chiropractic neurology side because I loved the neurology, the brain, the rehab aspect of it. Um, and so when I found out that's what he did, I was like, ooh, I just need to go get my chiropractic degree and then I'm gonna get my neurology degree um, and then I could be a, a chiropractic neurologist. So, so as I've kind of gone through practice, um, I really saw the importance of like that functional medicine side because everybody for years has talked about the brain gut connection. And so if I'm gonna understand the brain, then it'd probably be good to understand that body connection too. So, um, I, so I got my nutrition postgraduate degree. So I'm actually a chiropractic nutritionist and a chiropractic neurologist. So I just got two board certifications. And so we just combine those two worlds together of neurology, and functional medicine, we just blend them together, and that's how we try to figure out how to get people well. 
Good deal. Good deal. So, yeah, I have heard a lot about the uh, the brain gut connection here. And actually, I've actually even heard it referred to as the, the gut being like the second brain mm -hmm. uh, in terms of how important it is to the actual functioning of our body and everything. So talk to us more about what is the um, the body gut connect brain gut connection. You know, it's, it's a really simple concept, but and, and I say right. that because I think too much in, in traditional medicine, everything is, is is put into their, you know, they, they kind of use the word stay in your lane. You know, it's like you only mm -hmm. talk about the brain if you're a neurologist. You only talk about the gut if you're a gastroenterologist. But they all are interconnected. So your brain controls your gut, right? And we also know that the gut has a massive role on the brain. But we can take the brain-gut connection out and we just talk about brain-body connection. And so, you know, if you have a stroke, your body's affected. It's just that simple. You know, and if you have a brain injury, your body's affected. So you, so for me, it's hard to separate the two. They're all interconnected that, you know, if your brain is working well, then your body's working well. I mean, even so much so that some of the earliest signs of Alzheimer's and, and Parkinson's is constipation. So, you, so we can't really we can't just separate and say they don't coexist and, and not to look at the two together. That, yeah, if you understand those pieces, then then yeah, you, if somebody has a long-term chronic constipation, the next most common early symptom is a loss of smell. So if you lose your smell, you have constipation and you start feeling stiffness, that's not a great thing, but those are all body symptoms that are telling you that the brain isn't working very well. Um, so that whole body relationship is huge. And then I, I went and studied the whole like functional medicine side because you can't have stress without it affecting your brain. We all know that, you know, you go through a lot of stress and your short-term memory is off. You go through stress and your sleep is off. You go through stress and your word recall is off. Um, you know, you just look at people who have menstrual cycles, you know, you go through your hormone cycle and it changes their mood, right? They can be like very emotional. They can be anxious. They can be irritable. They can be super happy, you know? So what happens in your body impacts the brain. So, understanding those two worlds and bringing them together, I think starts to make sense of why people have the symptoms and the conditions that they do. So do you think this uh, this path that you're on right now, the specialty you have right now, you think it's kind of off the mainstream grid of what, tra of what traditional Western medicine really uh, provides here? Because I think um, you're, you're absolutely right. Like medicine, modern medicine in the West has a habit of really breaking everything down into different silos and kind of turning the human body into like a, a robotic machine where every part kind of works on its own and, you know, is more or less kind of uh, separated from everything else here. So um, your, your specialty then is really kind of a further integration of everything or just kind of like a push against that? You know, it's, it's, a, it's a great question because I think when I first started in practice and then I started lecturing, I would say it felt like I was on the fringe. You know, because mm -hmm. nobody is talking this way. I mean, and even even the whole like brain gut connection. When I first was in practice and lecturing, you would say that, and people were like, "Whoa, that's such a new thing." Now that's like standard. That's in the research. That's that's mm -hmm. not new anymore. So I think the things that I used to feel like I was on the fringe is now what they're starting to talk about. And now you're starting to see more and more even traditional medical professionals. They're saying, "Hey." I'm going to jump out of the system and I'm going to do things that are more integrated. You're starting to see a lot more talk on brain body connection. You're starting to see a lot more on this whole brain gut connection. I mean, it's just, I think the research is now flooded 
So I think it still feels like I'm on the fringe, but only because I think now you're starting to see research catching up saying, there's no way that you can isolate this. I mean, they, they went so far to say that, you know, if you, if you were to look at the microbiome, you know, which is all the gut flora, all the bugs in the gut. So each of those have been identified now, and each of those are associated with different health conditions. And they've even associated like certain um, abnormal flora types to major depressive disorder, abnormal flora types to psychological disorders. You know, so you, so the research is clearly out there stating that it's all interconnected. But I think when we get into our, our traditional medicine, everything is so segmented and everything's becoming specialist out there that I think we've lost that integration, even though the research clearly states how everything is integrated. Yeah, I think uh, I think some part of that, at least in terms of the American uh, healthcare system, has to do it is kind of business related, because if you're a specialist, then you have kind of like what's what's a niche, like an area that is kind of strictly yours. But um, so that kind of uh, forces people to kind of find a territory, own it, and then that is what their their area is, and that's who gets referred out to. That's the person you go to for this, that, or the other. And, you know, it kind of makes sense in some way. You have some person who focuses in, focuses, zeroes in, especially on one area, right? And yeah. so they know everything about it or everything there is to know about it. But in the same way, it kind of does a disservice because if you just focus on one area, and I'm learning this too as a trainer, you just focus on one area and you miss all this other stuff that's going on that might be connected to it. You're not doing the client or the patient a real satisfaction. Absolutely. I mean, you're seeing the integration definitely in the fitness world for sure. Right. I mean, back in the day, it was like, you know, let's just do back and vice, you know? And, you know, that was the most integration you got because you're like, well, you kind of pull at the same time as you back, you know, so let's integrate those. But now you're starting to see, you know, like fluid movements and, and looking at complex joints and complex movements and integrating this and that or looking at balance, you know, using BOSUs with exercise, doing, you know, it, it that's changed. The fitness world has changed a lot since, you know, I was in school and, and you know, they're teaching us about, you know, you know, exercise and things like that. So it, it, your world too, our worlds are integrated, but I think it's really sad and I, and I get what they're trying to do. And I think it makes sense what you're saying too. It's like, yeah, they, they want to be a specialist and it's good to have somebody who says, okay, this is what I'm going to focus on and be really good at this. But then the problem is, is that if they don't know what's going on, if it doesn't fit that mold, then they tell the patients, I don't know, you know, and I, I don't know where to send you. And so that's what we see a lot of times when patients come in our office, they go, I don't know where else to go. I've seen all of the 20 different doctors. They all want to put me on each medication for their own specialty. Now I'm going to be polypharmacy, you know, on multiple medications. <laughs> and this is kind of what we get. I mean, I got a kid with special needs and we see this, you know, because there's certain things we have to, we got to do follow-ups and check-ins for school and, and things like that. And I mean, even with two weeks ago, I had to take my kid to go see the rehab doctor because, you know, because they're like, you should see that person next. And I'm like, how many specialists does my kid have? And he's on zero drugs and he's, he's stable. But I, every year we have to go see the neurologist, the geneticist, the GI doc, the endo doc, the rehab doc, the ortho doc, and the primary specialist person. I'm like, we got like 10, 10 doctors for this kid and he's on zero medications. So I just show up and I go, what do you want to talk about today? How is he? <laughs> like, okay, well, we're going to make sure that you see the neurologist in, uh, in, a, in a month. I'm like, great. So then we go see the neurologist. How are you, how are things? Great. But we have to like, everybody's got their own specialties now. So, 
Right. It really, yeah, it, it, it really creates a kind of a massive bureaucracy and sometimes it just, you know, I understand it, but sometimes it just doesn't work really work to what is the greater good of the person you're dealing with. But, um, but in terms of your, uh, your specialty area where you're dealing with things that are directly connected to the brain and the body. And I, I just wonder how, how, how hard do you find that to really treat? Because the brain is just such a, it's uh, such a mystery in a lot of ways. You know, it's, you know, it's been described as kind of like the bottom of the ocean. You don't really, you know, it's there, but you don't fully understand what's there and you know, how it really, everything that is there. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. I think that's, I think that's was, I guess, cool about knowing mm -hmm. stuff because, you know, sometimes you get into a specialty where it's like, okay, well, we, we know all there is to know kind of, you know, and, and every once in a while, there's a breakthrough. But I think with the brain, every year, there's more and more and more data that keeps coming out. And so it's definitely a career and a profession that you'll never be bored unless you just stop learning. You know, if you're like, I know everything and you just do what you do every day, then I, I can see that. But I mean, I mean, I was, I was actually on a whole, um, I did a whole entire seminar this weekend on longevity. And it was just fascinating because they were talking about all the different aspects of, of you know, brain function and looking at things like Alzheimer's and your dementias and Parkinson's and looking at all the other like things within the body that actually can lead to like early aging, you know, so they're now looking at some of these testing and there's things that are all affordable. So they're looking at some testing, looking at different markers and saying these markers are associated with aging. So if we can get these markers, you know, functioning better or, you know, have better values, then it could be maybe predictive on how well we age neurologically. You know, so they do look at things like Parkinson's and dementia. Um, and so I think that's what's kind of fascinating is if you're staying with the research and you're, and you're looking to stay educated, this field is constantly evolving. And so, yeah, you'll never see the bottom of the ocean, but, you know, just like the ocean is like, they get a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper, and they find ways to send, you know, you know, robots down and they go, wow, look at, look what we just figured out. And I think that's what the brain is all about too. Right, right. So in terms of on the, on the question of aging, actually, since you brought it up, um, I think about a year ago, I read a book. I don't remember the name of the book, but the, it was written by a man named David Sinclair. I think he's out of Australia. And um, you talked about markers that uh, suggest aging and how well someone actually ages. I, this book seemed to suggest that there was the, the um, I think the overall thesis of the book was is that we can get to a point now where if we treat it right and we know what to look for, we can treat aging as kind of like a, any kind of other medical disorder. You know, you can almost like reverse, literally reverse the aging process here um, with the a further understanding of neurology and a new approach to neurology. I know it's kind of, this is a very nebulous question. I, I know I'm throwing a lot at you. I just kind of wanted to know, since you brought up aging, what's your take on that? You know, it's interesting. I think after this weekend, so it was a mentor, Ryan, mentor of mine that was doing the the lecture um same degrees you know so it's kind of fun so he's a big brain body person too so is that actually interesting because they're talking about that they they kind of in science they said that if everything goes well that a human body can actually go to 120 to 150 years which that's a long time and so mm -hmm. that's where they're starting to look at these markers so i think when you look at aging yeah there's definitely some things that we can do now um and i think it's interesting that they can treat it like a condition um, which could make sense because if, if that's a great question, I'm like trying to put that in words because I, because we're, we look at different pieces like the mitochondria, right? And the mitochondria help with all like your brain cells, all your muscles, 
you know, that's the powerhouse of everything. So if those mitochondria, if you can get those to last longer, then your aging should be better in theory, because now every cell is working the way it's supposed to. Um, and now they're starting to look at like how cells like divide and, and, you know, that cellular division and that growth, you know, that you have. And so like, as they divide and, and regenerate, how well do they do that? And how well is the next generation of cells, so to speak, you know, mm -hmm. proteins. Um, so they're starting to look at all those pieces, but it's, it's kind of interesting. I agree. I think the longevity piece is a possibility. I don't think it has to be treated like, I think sometimes in, in traditional medicine, they, they treat it. Ah, there's two things that I see. One, they just go, they tell patients, you know, you're just getting older. This is how it works, you know? And I think that's unfortunate. And then other people, they kind of treat it like you have a medical emergency. So it's like, well, you got to be on this pill now. Now you got to be on this pill. Now, if you don't do this, this is going to happen. Here's another pill, you know? And so then they get into polypharmacy, which they say that's actually one of the biggest causes of aging is polypharmacy, which is ironic. So the really? more they put you on medications, the more that they're changing your cells, they're changing your structure, they're changing your DNA. How much of that could be toxin? How does your liver process it? It's, it's a really fascinating world that I think you're starting to see. They're calling it gerio, gerio science. You know, looking at mm -hmm. the science of getting older. It's a it's really fascinating. So it was, it was kind of a fun seminar to be a part of and going, wow, that was a whole nother world of learning and research that's coming out. Um, but that's a whole nother world. It's called gerio science. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely thought the book was thought provoking. I never thought of aging as being like a medical diagnosis. You know, I guess in some ways it kind of makes sense because you're talking about a gradual degradation of cells yeah. right over time. So I guess that would qualify in some way. Um, but in terms of like, so what does, in your opinion, what does a traditional medicine really go wrong when it goes to treating things like, um, brain injury, like traumatic brain injuries and things like that. Um, because I know you also did write a book on this that I looked up and the, uh, the premise of it was very interesting about how you can actually, um, effectively treat a brain disorder in a better way or brain injury in a better way. Yeah. I, I think we're, I think where it's a miss right now in medicine and, and I don't think anything's changed. It's been like this for a while is, is that they kind of use the whole, you know, just rest and you'll be fine. You know, which, which I, I agree, rest is good, but every single patient that comes in, they say, you know, don't, don't be on a computer, stay in the dark, don't go to school, don't go to work, you know, and if you don't get better, come back and see me. And, and I think that's, I think there's truth in that in the first maybe couple of weeks, but then patients go back and see them and they're like, well, what's your symptoms? Well, you know, I have anxiety now, I have depression. Well, here's your anti-anxiety, here's your antidepressant. You know, well, I have pain all over the place. Well, here's your gabapentin. You know, and, and so now you start seeing it goes from like, well, rest and then come back and see me if you have issues to now we're going to give you like this drug, this drug, this drug, and this drug. And the patients still can't go back to work or school or to the sport that they started. You know, so then um, you start seeing with this, this whole like evolution of then they become isolated because they can't go to work. Right. So now they're, you know, sitting there thinking about all their, their issues. They're not in the community. There's no sense of purpose, which is kind of interesting. The longevity kind of in the science, they're actually talking about purpose being one of the biggest things that help you age well. You know, so now you kind of lose your purpose, you lose your community, you're isolated. How are you supposed to get better from that? And, and so I think that's where the miss is right now is that they're not looking at, you know, what's going on. I don't think they do a good job of working patients up. You know, they just say, hey, your MRIs look clean, your CTs look clean. 
you know, go see a physical therapist, go see a counselor. And, and I think that's where the mess is right now, where, you know, when they come into our office, you know, we say, okay, what's going on with you? Let's check you head to toe. Let's look at your eyes, your equilibrium, your vestibular, your coordination, gross, fine motor. You know, let's look at all those pieces and let's look to see what happened, you know, metabolically. You know, are they eating healthy? Do they have good blood sugar? Is their blood sugar stable? Are they anemic? Do they have inflammation? You know, because if you have a brain injury and you have massive inflammation, how are you supposed to heal? You know, if you have a brain injury and you're like eating pizza every day, I mean, I love pizza, but that's not healthy. That's enough. So why would you do inflammatory things? And then, and then sometimes I, I relate this a lot to when I'm talking to people um, like having a knee injury, you know, it's like, so you, so you injure your ACL. Okay. That's fine. Go rest. That's fine. But at some point you have to do rehab. You just can't rest forever, forever on an ACL and then expect to like pop up and go do what you love. At some point you have to have rehab. And I think that's the big miss on brain function. Yes, there's a time to rest and heal, but at some point you have to heal what was damaged. You have to rehab the area of the brain that was damaged. And people don't go through rehab and then expect, they don't understand why they're not better. And to me, it'd be the same thing as if you had an ACL injury, never had rehab, and then said, I don't understand why I can't go play soccer again. It's like, well, you never rehabbed it. How are you, mm-hmm. supposed, to, how are you supposed to go play soccer? Even if you had the, a really bad ankle injury and you never rehabbed it, your ankle's now unstable. So the next time you roll your ankle, it takes nothing to roll it. And it's the same thing with head injuries. If you don't rehab it and then you bump your head on the visor, getting out of your car, where you're playing with your kid and they kind of bump, bump your head accidentally, and then boom, it throws them into a whole spiral. And then they go, well, I don't understand. I don't understand. It's like, well, I do. You never rehabbed it. So it's, it's, it's weak, you know, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the myth in medicine is that I think there's a lack of education on what really happens. And there's a lack of follow through and there's a lack of rehabilitation. And then people don't understand why they don't feel better. Gotcha. Gotcha. So what could, um, what could, the, the industry, what could the profession do to really kind of just beef up its service to people like this? I mean, obviously you stated a lot of the obvious. Well, you can't just sit in the dark after a brain injury and shut yourself off for the world. Um, that's, that seems fairly obvious to me, yeah. but um, what, what, could, uh, what could a practitioner really do to help them out? Or what could the industry do? I think, I think first and foremost, I think when you get into the neurologists and the people who are concussion specialists, I think the first thing they need to do is do a full exam. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't ever tell you a time that a patient actually said they had a full exam. I think checking reflexes and strength and looking at pupils is not a full exam, you know? Um, but I, I think that's a start. I think you can look at somebody head to toe and look at all of those aspects of each lobe of the brain and find out how it's doing. Um, a lot of times you see on, on reports where they just say grossly normal and grossly normal usually means I kind of checked them. I looked at the patients and told them to smile, you know, that, that's grossly normal, you know, instead of like saying, okay, what, where, where is the dysfunction? Um, I feel like I'm on a soapbox, but it's probably good. I, I think oh, it's fine. No, I think it's no different. If, uh, and we, if let's go back to, let's go back to knee right? You're, you're playing soccer and you injure your knee. You go to an orthopedic person, they actually do an orthopedic exam, right? They test the MCL, ACL, LCL, PCL. They test your quads, your hamstrings. They look at everything. 
And then when they get done with it, they go, you know what? I think you, I think you strain sprained your MCL. You know, you should rest for the next two weeks and then you should go see a physical therapist. And then what does the physical therapist do? They give you exercises for your MCL. They tape your MCL. They give you rehab strategies for your MCL. They give you, you know, maybe isometrics. You know, they do ultrasounds. They do all these cool things for your MCL. For your MCL, but not your, not your brain. Mm-hmm. Do a crappy exam, do crappy follow-up, and then we don't do any rehab whatsoever on a part of the brain. Like, if you know that the cerebellum, which controls your balance, is not has been injured, then why don't we do rehabilitation for the cerebellum? But nobody said nobody goes through the brain and says, "Here's the area that's not working. Here's the rehab that we need to do to fix it, and here's the follow-up that we that we need to do that." You get way better attention for an MCL tear, way more love. Yeah. Do you think that kind of goes back to the fact that we kind of understand the, the body in terms of like its mechanics, like how it works? So, you know, an orthopedist will, um, you know, test your, your range of motion, mm-hmm. you know, uh, say on your knee or something like that. You know, they look for a certain thing saying, okay, well, you know, you're partially there, mostly there, or not there at all, or you have full range of motion. So that's okay. We don't need to worry so much about that. Is it just, is it that much more difficult when you're trying to gauge someone who has a brain injury? Because you don't really have like this tremendous range of, this guide of range of motion to really look for. Or am I wrong about that? That's what's crazy. Okay. Any neurologist knows these things. They're trained in it. All neurologists are trained in how to assess the brain. They're all, this is nothing new. We can take this. This is this is a very simple test where you're just tapping your fingers. Right. There's a grading right. scale to that. Zero, there's one, zero through four. There's a grading scale. It's not that hard. You look at reflexes. There's a grading scale. You look at muscle strength. There's a grading scale. They, they all there. There's all these grading scales for for neurological testing, just like you would any orthopedic testing. You know, but they don't go through those, and, th- and that's what I think gets frustrating is. We're all taught that. If you talk to a neurologist, they spent years and residencies understanding this, but then they don't test it. So they, a lot of them, like I swear, they just look at like two reflexes. They look at your pupils. They look at your arm strength. They have you balance, and then they go, "Yep, you have a concussion." I'm like, "Great." So what? Where? <laughs> so why? I mean, I know I'm spe- I'm asking you to speculate. So why do you think they kind of shortchange the process there? Um, you know, the docs that I talk to, you know, and, and I, and I'm, I'm pretty involved in both traditional and, and non-traditional, um, worlds. Um, and I lecture right. all over the country. So I've talked to a lot of doctors. They all tell me it's time. They just don't have enough time. Mm-hmm. They're giving 15 minutes, maybe 30, depending on the complexity of the case. And that's what they're given to check people out. I mean, we, we, we take two hours to figure somebody out. We do a full... We do a full exam in two hours. They don't have two hours in traditional medicine. Most of the time they're given 15 minutes to follow up with somebody. And then if you talk to most, and so actually, and I can even back this up and say, I don't actually think it's the practitioners. I think it's the system. Yeah. And I think a lot of practitioners have really great intent. I think they really want to do the best, but I don't think the tools that they're given or the time or the, and I think the system is kind of funky. So if you had, if you had, so let's say for a moment that you had your way, that you would remake this system and to 
in a way so it would do the patients properly when they are being examined. Um, what would you put in place in, in place of it? I would say I would say just probably the first step is give the doctors time to do stuff. You know, right. Give them time to do an actual exam. You know, um, because you don't. It doesn't take forever to do like a full neuro exam. I mean, if you've done these for years, it doesn't take long. You know, but actually to give you time to do it, because I think the history is the other part, right? If you sit down and talk with somebody and say, what What are the things that you noticed since your your brain injury? You know, well, I have a lot of brain fog. I'm super dizzy all the time. Um, you know, I, I seem to you know, bump into walls, you know, and I got this little tremor, you know, and you go, okay, well, it sounds like it's the cerebellum. So that makes sense. Let's go through and let's evaluate the cerebellum, you know, and when you look at it, there's actually different, you got the right side, you have the left side and you have layers to it. And each thing that you do, each cerebellar test you do points out a different layer, you know? So I would say the first thing you do is, Let's give the docs and the medical professionals time to do a history exam and a treatment plan. Because I, when you talk to some of these docs that are in the system, I mean, they're literally given like, by the time you get done with, in your 15 minute slot, you have about seven minutes of paperwork and questions that you have to ask. Then you got another eight minutes to do an exact evaluation examination and to come up with a treatment plan. That's super fast. I mean. Yeah, you know, we, we spent six minutes trying to figure out technical issues before we came on. Yeah. <laughs> because it went by like this. It was super fast. So, I mean, you're trying to examine somebody and come up with a plan of action in seven minutes. That's really quick. And I, I think that's, I, that's what I would fix first time. Just fix the amount of time that they have with each patient. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, so I want to talk to you also about on the matter of like concussions and vertigo and migraines. Cause I, you know, I, I know lots of people who have migraines. I don't, I don't have them, but I know lots of people who do. And, you know, just looking back at my own history, I did have about a couple years ago with vertigo, it just kind of came out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And I, it got me really sick. I went to the ER, you know, and, you know, threw up a whole bunch. <laughs> Eventually it wore off and it never came back since. But that was just bizarre. And uh, I never really got a definitive reason as to why it ever ever did happen. Um, so what makes conditions like that just so hard to treat? And like, how come we can never like go back to, how come we can never like find an, a place of origin as to why something like that just comes out of nowhere and knocks me down like that? <laughs> it goes back to proper exams. You know, it's, oh, okay. it goes back to that because, you know, when, when people come into our office with vertigo, you know, one of the things that we do is we put, did you ever get put in goggles? Like infrared no. goggles? Yeah. No. There's, there's your first. So when you put somebody into an infrared goggle, it's called a, a VNG system or vestibular, no, no, vestibular, no, vestography. It's a long word to say. Um, I can't say any better, so yeah, go ahead. <laughs> you put somebody into like a VNG goggle system and you put their eyes up on the on a screen and you put them in the dark, right away you can see most of the time right away you can see where the where the vertigo is coming from. Because it depends on how the eyes are moving. So the eyes will like they'll they'll kind of have a slow and a quick movement to them, and that's actually what creates the vertigo. Now, based on what you see, it tells you which part of the so you have your inner ear system, you have the right side and the left side. And so it tells you, is it the right inner ear that's off 
or is it the left inner ear that's off? And then based on which way you put their head, you can figure out which canal in that ear is the one that's misfiring. And then you can tell by the way that the eyes track if it's due to crystals in the ear or if it's due to like an imbalance that's in the brain. It's, it's not rocket science, but the problem is just a lack of an exam. So when you do that exam, it's like, actually last week we had a patient come in from California. She spent the week with us. She's had vertigo for a year and a half. And no one's ever figured it out. So we put her in goggles, did the exam on her. I'm telling you probably within like 15 minutes, I was like, I go, I actually feel really sad because I think this will be an easy fix and no one's ever just taken the time to figure you out. And so by Friday, she didn't have any more vertigo. When she rolled over in bed, she would have about five to 10 seconds of feeling unstable and then it went away. So this is a matter of just now rehab retraining. Year and a half she's been struggling with this because no one's taken the time to check her out. And it was not that hard. It was really easy to figure out what's wrong with her. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I went to the ER, they gave me fluids. I got sent home with Zofran, which I ended up not using at all anyway. Yeah. But um, yeah. Um, that's, just a, that's just an anti magic pill. Yeah, I know. And I, I ended up not needing it. I, when I left, I probably did need it when I was in there, but yeah, it was just the worst experience ever. And I never got a definitive answer as to why it would happen in the first place. Yeah, no, I, I don't know. We hear those stories all of the time and sometimes they just do go away. And some, a lot of times they do come on spontaneously and who knows why? I mean, you know, sometimes you mm-hmm. know it makes sense or some reasons. Sometimes you could have gotten like sick, could have had a virus, who knows? I mean, there, there's a lot of weird things that just pop in. And I've had patients that I've known forever just one day call and go, I got vertigo when I woke up. I'm like, well, that's weird. <laughs> so there's just sometimes I don't know why they come on. So when people come to see you now, because you've made mention about uh, like how you actually taking the time to examine somebody. So I want to kind of take the listener through. So if someone went to see Dr. Shane Stedman at his clinic, mm. um, what would be the process they would they would go through? So the process, so when people come in, we actually start on doing some like preliminary testing. Um, so we actually have like a balance platform that gives us all the metrics on their balance. We actually put them in those goggles. We actually graph out all their eyes. So that's a really easy thing to do. So we have a whole computer system that graphs it. Um, and then we do like, you know, all their blood pressure and stuff like that. And we do it in different positions. And then from there, we actually do a history. So we have another person on this on staff that does all the history for us and they go through and find out like how long has this been going on? You know, what happened around it? You know, did you have a brain injury? What was the injury? You know, um, and just getting a whole sense of them. Um, after the exam, then we actually do a full head to toe neuro exam. So we go through and we check all their sensory, their motor, their coordination, their brainstem nerves, their eyes, um, some more balance. So we just check everything and anything that kind of pertains to it. Um, and then from there, we actually work on, um, usually that they bring us in like information or labs or imaging or reports. Usually then we mm-hmm. go over all of that after. So, so we examine the patient and then we kind of release them. And we usually follow up, you know, as soon as possible, sometimes that day, the next day, it depends on, on, on the situation, but then we go through the labs. So if they had an MRI, then we go through that. So if they had CTs, blood work or whatever, we go through and we find out what the heck is going on. And then we just put it all together. And then we meet back with the patient and we say, okay, here's the areas of the brain that were injured. 
here's what's going on with your system. Um, here's the direction that we're going to go. Here's the exercises we're going to do. And this is this is how long we're going to work on you, kind of like initially. So sometimes we might work on it like you know, a month or six weeks, and then say, okay, let's reexamine and see where we're at. You know, because you always want to have these check-in points. You don't just like forever doing stuff. So we'll say, hey, let's like hit out really hard. Let's be assertive on this. You know, to the best we can, because some people have a lot of fatigue. But let's, let's do the let's, let's be as aggressive as we can on this, and then we'll check in and say, okay, how are we doing? But then we we do a lot of pre and post check along the way, you know. So if somebody doesn't have good balance, and so we're working on the balance, so we just keep checking it. Is it getting better? Yes, great. If it's not, let's do something different. Um, so we constantly have these like check these pre and post checks, and then we have an official reexam to say, okay, where are we at? How are you doing? How are things going? Where do we go next? So on average, I mean, I know it's, it varies from patient to patient. On average, how long do you normally work with a single individual until they're to the point now where they don't really need to see you? I would say usually most of the time it takes, I would say from a rehab standpoint, usually good, like, I would say your average is probably three to six months. You know, some people are really, really quick. Um, some people take longer depending on the type of head injury they had. You know, some people can take upwards to a year, you know, just depending. Um, I mean, you get some of these like really wicked head injuries, car accidents, you know, or I've seen some like professional athletes that just, you know, get blown up on a field, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, get blown up on the ice. You know, you see some of those injuries where you're like, everybody's cringing, watching the game. Some right. Those are a little bit tougher because you can, it's hard to get hit that hard and, and recover super fast, you know, but everybody's different and the resiliency is so different. You know, I've seen, I've seen athletes that we've done better in a week and I've seen people that had a mild accident take forever. So it's just, I think the resiliency and, and how they, how their health was prior is a big dictator of their outcome too. For sure. For sure. So I also wanted to ask you, um, now I saw something that, um, I read that you, you do recommend supplements to people. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. In terms of how to actually um, address some of their symptoms and address some of their underlying problems. Um, what, so what kind of uh, supplements would you actually recommend? Yeah. So there's some really great supplements that when you start looking at the research can be designed towards brain inflammation. You know, so if somebody has a lot of brain inflammation, we can use things like turmeric or resveratrol or glutathione. You know, those are some great kind of herbals and, and things like that, that really help. So there's a lot of times we'll use things like that. I mean, your fish oil has always kind of been a classic one, you know, um, that, that we'll use. And then sometimes we'll use things, you know, if somebody's struggling with sleep, they're struggling with energy. Um, so we can kind of use things symptom-based or we can use things to reduce inflammation. Just like, you know, going back to like a knee, you know, it's like if your knee was super swollen from an injury, you know, you can you know, put creams on there. You can put Arnica. We can do ice you know, liniments, you know, all these different things that people use to get this swelling to calm down, you know, so you can do things to help with like the inflammation and trying to get all the, all that injury aspect to, to settle down, to make the rehab better. Just like a knee, if your knee is super swollen all the time, it makes rehab a little tough, you know, but if you get the swelling to calm down and get more stability, you know, then, then you can start exercising again and get stronger and stronger and stronger. So that's kind of how we utilize supplements, but then we also use them too. If somebody's anemic, um, like I had a patient years ago that came in that she was all over the place because of a concussion. Um, and then to come to find out she was anemic, she didn't have enough iron. 
And so we, we you know, we've said, hey, we're gonna like hit this for the next couple of weeks, got our iron up, and like most of our symptoms went away. So then it makes rehab really easy. Um, so so we'll kind of use supplements in those different varieties, you know, to to say let's let's work on your brain or let's work on something that'll impact it. You know, if you're diabetic, I need to get that blood sugar down because diabetics heal really slow. You know, so we gotta get that under control. So that's kind of how we use supplements. Gotcha, I gotcha. All right, so Dr. Sebman, um, we're going to start to wind it down now. I don't, I don't want to keep you too long. I, knew you, I know you do have patience, so you're going to come up here pretty soon here. So what I like to do as a kind of a closing tradition on this program is that I like to, because we talk about generate a lot, uh, and I like to kind of summarize things for people here. So if the people listening here, if they could walk away with one thing in mind from what you said, if nothing else, what do you think it would be? I would say on concussions, here's a summary. If you get a concussion, I think find somebody who knows how to rehab concussions. Go to that person right away. Um, there's a lot of people, I mean, in my specialty, there's there's a handful of us out there. Um, so you can look for chiropractic neurologist, or you can look for something called functional neurology. So it's kind of kind of a term that's been coined a little bit. It's not really a profession, but you know, some people use that in their marketing. So if you look for like a functional neurologist, chiropractic neurologist, you know, people like that, there's some PTs that do really great like functional neurology as well, but you need to find like a functional neurologist, get in soon, because I think the faster you get to it, I think the faster the recovery is. Um, you know, definitely rest is always a good thing, but just like resting your knee, maybe a few weeks, but I think after a few weeks, you should be kind of on the rehab somewhere, somehow. Um, I think there's a lot of good things out there when it comes to treatments, but a lot of times they're like a one size fits all, you know? So I think be aware of that. I mean, look for somebody that says, okay, I know all the different tools and we'll find out which tool suits you. Um, I think that's more important. So as soon as you get a head injury, don't wait, don't wait two, five, two to five years out. Um, that makes it harder to rehab. And then I think, you know, just if you get a brain injury, eat healthy, drink lots of water, get rest, reduce your inflammation. Those are things you can control in the meantime. Um, and I think that's kind of the summary of, of all of this. All right. I think that's a great place to end. I think in summary here is like own, own your injury, own your health and uh, take action. Yeah. So exactly. All right. So, all right. Well, Dr. Dr. Stebman, I appreciate your time. Thank you for sticking with me through all the uh, technical difficulties we had before we started recording here. But I appreciate your time. I will let you go so you can go see your patients. And um, everyone listening here, I will put uh, info information to Dr. Stedman and his practice in the show notes when I upload it, the social media, the websites, how you can get in contact with him if you want to. And um, don't forget, I also have my own programs on there. Uh, they're meant to help with people with balance and coordination and neuromuscular functioning, that kind of stuff in there. That'll be a feature as well, too. And uh, and if you did find interest or find value in this in this episode, in this podcast, please consider giving a review on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really does help us along. It really helps increase the visibility of the podcast. But until then, thank you again, Dr. Stedman. I really appreciate your conversation. Great. Thanks for having me. No problem. All right. Peace out, everybody. Until next time. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget, you can become a supporter of the show by becoming a monthly subscriber. No commitments. Cancel anytime. Every little bit helps. And I'd sure love your support. 
Also, you can click any of the links to our social media platforms provided in the show notes, and you can email me at renfitnesswarriors at gmail.com. That's ren, R-E-N, fitnesswarriors at gmail.com. If you got a fitness story to tell, I'd love to hear it. And you never know, you might just find yourself on the show. Until next time, train hard. Peace.